Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and the scouting combine is in the books as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 46. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk where I chat with my good friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. I caught up with Greg out in Indianapolis and we talked about a lot of things. But for this show, I wanted to focus on the value of sub-package players and it has a lot to do with with some of the biggest names in this draft class on the defensive side of the football. Next up, we've got Two Technique, where we talk with Eagle safety Ed Reynolds about the importance of versatility at the safety spot, which will be very pertinent for this week's show. And then last up, we've got Saturday Scouting, where we look through my notes on Eagles cornerback Ja'Cory Shepard. I was really high on him last year coming out of Kansas. And since we're spending a lot of this week's show talking about sub-packages and nickel and dime, why not dig into my report on the man who likely would have been the Eagles slot corner a year ago, if not for his knee injury back in the summer. But before we get into all that, we obviously have some big news to get into with the Eagles re-signing Sam Bradford to a two-year deal. It's a win-win for the organization and for Bradford. It's a chance to, to bring him back, let him prove his wares, and show what he can do in this Doug Peterson offense. But then also gives the Eagles the ability to figure out what they want to do moving forward at the quarterback position. I think that Sam showed really good flashes last year in certain points of the year, especially late. In the second half of the year, I thought he really came into his own, really started to seem more comfortable. So really excited to see him get back with this receiving core, get into this offense with with Doug Peterson, with Frank Wright calling the shots there offensively. A lot to be excited about with that group. So, like I said, we've got a a lot to get into in this show. Really excited about the Bradford move. But let's get into my discussion with Greg Cosell from out at the Combine talking about nickel and dime sub packages and Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for the very first time since the end of the season, NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell. And Greg, uh, I love having these philosophical discussions with you. And what, the one I wanted to have here from the scouting combine in Indianapolis talk, is talking about the different roles that players can play for an offense or a defense. And obviously you study the NFL in a way that not many people do around the media circle. And really it's just because you study the tape each and every week of every single team from an all-22 perspective. And you have a really good perspective on what value different roles play. So I wanted to ask you, and, and really let's center this discussion around Miles Jack, a guy who his versatility, you know, some teams may look at him and think that he's a strong safety like Cam Chancellor. Some may see a weak side linebacker like a Thomas Davis. Other may see uh, a middle linebacker or a slot corner. It's a very, very interesting discussion when you yes. talk about Miles Jack. And uh, really, let's just talk about the value that a player like that can have on a football team. Well, Almost every defense, as we know, Fran, with very few exceptions, will have some weaknesses that they try to camouflage on a weekly basis depending on the nature of the opponent. You know, let's say you don't have a great slot corner. And some weeks that may not be a problem at all depending on who you're playing. But let's say that in a given week you're playing it against a, an offense that has a very good slot receiver. Let's say Miles Jack can line up in the slot. That particular week... He can play over the slot 
and you can take care of a weakness and compensate for a weakness that you may otherwise have. So a player like Miles Jack, assuming he is capable of all that, then he becomes a chess piece that can be used week to week against specific opponents. Because what's the reality in the NFL? You're just trying to win every week. Sure. And every week is a different matchup. And every week the offense presents different challenges. And the way you hear a lot of defensive coordinators talk, and you know this, is they say, we have to have answers. Yeah. And so he's a, a player that gives you more answers. And, and I think that's why if Miles Jack can indeed do all these things, then he becomes a very important player. Yeah, and we've talked about the value that a player like an Aqib Tlaib that can line up all over the field and match up against tight ends, receivers, or backs. Uh, a player like Charles Woodson in his prime that can line up all over the field. Does that player have top five value in your mind? If you think that yeah. that's what Miles Jack is. I think you could you could make that argument. Now, because let's assume a couple of other things. Let's assume because of his, his athleticism and his size, he came in at 245 pounds. And I don't know if people thought he was 245. As I said, I haven't studied his background yet, so I don't know. Uh, I guess I had always thought about him as being a guy who was probably more like 230, 235. Right. But if he's truly 245, does he then also potentially give – you value as a pass rusher. Yeah, and he was used that way at times. And if that's the case, then yes, because we know how important pass rush is in this league. So without question, if Miles Jack can add to his repertoire and become a, a meaningful pass rusher, then without question, he, pr- he has that kind of value. So then the, the other question then becomes if you see, and obviously you haven't done the work on, on Jack yet to really answer this question, but in theory, if he is able to be that in-the-box linebacker, is he then? How often are those in-the-box linebackers valued at top five? That's what they that's, wouldn't be exactly. And, unless, and again, you know, someone said to me uh, last night, and we I've talked to a lot of people about Miles Jack, and they've been great football conversations. Someone said to me, "Well, why don't you make him a Mike linebacker at two forty-five? He'd be the most athletic Mike linebacker in the league." And look at, at the value of Luke Keekley to the Carolina defense. Sure. And Luke Keekley is is pretty much every year a defensive player of the year candidate. Yeah. And he's the foundation of that defense. So if you made Miles Jack that guy, doesn't he have great value? And and Keekley, as I recall, was a top ten pick, was he not? Sure. I think he was ninth. I think he was. He met, no, I think he was. What was he eleven? I think or, he was. I think because I think Fletcher Cox was eleven and Keekley may have been 12 or was it the other way around I thought Keekley might Keekley have, may have gone before Fletcher. Fletcher Cox either way but either way yes I think he was a top 12 pick yeah and so you know Miles Jack if you think he's Luke Keekley and one so to speak meaning right. he could do some more things yep then why isn't that player you know a top five pick or a top six pick yeah and I guess that's the that's the interesting part is that you go into and what is the value of a, of, a, of a linebacker? Okay, and if you see him as being that type of player, then that's where you'll have him slotted. If you think that he's in your defense is going to be that movable chess piece that can be an answer, do you then have to weigh that value of Miles Jack in the top five against, say, you know, Jalen Mills, a safety from, our, from LSU that can line up all over the formation and has the length to deal with tight ends. But if you get Jalen Mills in the third round or late second right. round, you almost have to weigh how much more value do you get from Jack in the top five as compared to what you would get 
from Jalen Mills. And it's it's just interesting talking about really the valuation of a player like Miles Jack. Well, I think offer. the feeling is, and, and you've done more work on Miles Jack than I have up to this point, that Jack is a little unique athletically, that yeah. he's not just a good athlete. Okay, because last year we saw Shaq Thompson come out of Washington. Did a lot of the things that uh, Miles Jack did this year. He was a running back. He was a linebacker. He was a safety. He played over the slot at times. Now, it's my understanding that Jack is a better athlete. Yes. Now, I don't know by what degree, uh, but from what I hear, Jack is just freakish. Right. Now, uh, you know, is Jack a guy who in some ways, you know, sort of changes, I don't want to say changes the game because there's not going to be a Miles Jack coming out every year. And, and, you know, it's like Lawrence Taylor, people said he changed the game. And he, he did to some degree tactically, but uh, there's probably not been another exact Lawrence Taylor. Sure. So maybe Miles Jack's that guy. And if Miles Jack is that guy that can pretty much almost do anything on your defense, then he's certainly worthy of a very, very high pick. That's, a, that's, that's the point I wanted to get home. So it's very, very interesting. Well, let's get now to talk about some other sub-package type players and what they can yep. offer. If you're talking about a player that can play, and we'll talk about this with Jalen Ramsey, and you almost, it's almost a very similar conversation in my mind because yeah. if you think Ramsey is, a, is Patrick Peterson, obviously that kind of player has top 10, top 5 value. Without question because outside corner in the NFL, the league still to this day, even with all the so-called changes and integration of other concepts, the league to this day still looks at four positions as premium positions. Yeah. Quarterback and left tackle on offense, pass rusher and corner on defense. So if you can line up and play outside corner and play man-to-man against the top receivers in the league, that position is a top-ten position in a draft. So now there are some, and I, I would not count myself as one of these people, but there are some that don't feel that right. Jalen Ramsey can be an outside corner, that he is either a safety or he's a big nickel type player. So you're saying if he's not, then what's his value? Then what is his value? Because I think what you, people would then say is that he's a bigger Tyran Matthew. Right. So that, does that player, in your mind, have right. that kind of value? Well, let's think of it this way. Sure. And I know you studied Arizona this year because the Eagles played them. Yep. Obviously, pr- maybe not in as great detail as I did because... I'm watching them almost of every course. week. But in your mind, when you studied Arizona and you saw what Matthew did defensively for that team, basically being able to play man-to-man almost across the board against anybody, being able to play in the slot, being able to play safety, even being utilized as a blitzer, forgetting about where he was drafted, yep. and we know that he had other issues. Of course. In your mind, does that player is that player worth – a top ten pick? I don't. I don't think so. You don't. I don't. I don't know. See, I would I'm not bet, saying I don't know if he's I, top ten. I would bet if you talk to defensive coaches, they yeah. would say yes, and I'll tell really? you why. Okay. Because I've had conversations with defensive coaches all through the years, and the one thing that that always is troubling to them is when they can't do something that they feel they don't yeah. have an answer for. Yeah. And technically, then Jalen Ramsey from the secondary. Gives you an answer to almost everything. Right. I guess that's the, the interesting part with both Miles Jack and with Ramsey is that at the very least, they offer some kind of versatility to be right. able to, to be that kind of player. And that's why coaches don't subscribe 
it's why coaches and scouts often bang heads a little bit because in the scouting community you'll hear things like, oh, safeties aren't that important. And then you'll talk to a defensive coordinator who will say, I can't do what I want to do because I don't have a good safety. Right. So, you, you know, you get a little disconnect there. So that's why if, if Jalen Ramsey can give your defense all the answers it needs in the secondary, then isn't that player really valuable in an era where teams clearly pass more than they throw? Yeah, I mean, to me, I view Ramsey as that kind of right, player right. for sure. I mean, I, I, again, I think he could be an outside corner as well, but it wouldn't surprise me because I've seen people make this comparison. I mentioned Charles Woodson earlier. Right. I've seen people make that comparison to what Charles Woodson can be. Well, and Charles Woodson came into the league as a corner. He was a Heisman winner as a and corner. And he was a pretty yeah. darn good right. corner. I don't think anybody, you know, Again, I, I've just I've done two games on Ramsey, and I'm going to do a lot more because secondary guys, you always have to do a lot more, as you know. Right. Um, but I, I really haven't found anybody that doesn't think Ramsey can play corner. Yeah. Now, some people think he might be better as a safety, but I haven't spoken to anyone that said, oh, he can't play corner. Right. So if he can play corner and also play safety and also play in the slot, He's sure giving your defense a lot of answers. Sure, no question about it. Well, let's look at the defensive line because I think this is an area too where a lot. You can look at the Super Bowl winners. You look at uh, you look at Denver and what they were able to do with a guy like Malik Jackson, a Absolutely. player like Derek Wolf, a player that can play inside, he can play outside, and line up all over. And There's a lot of players coming out. What's fascinating to me traits. about that is. Jackson was a fourth or a fifth round pick coming out of Tennessee. Right. Now, I think Wolf was a second round. Yeah, but Cincinnati. that's because he, he clearly had a role as a 3 4 DN. Right. I mean, he had a defined role in a base defense. Jackson, when he came out, was viewed as not necessarily having a defined role because he was viewed as not quite big enough to be a D tackle and not quite quick enough to be a D end. Because I remember doing him. I liked the player, right. but that's the way a lot of people thought. But now the game seems to have changed a bit with all these four-man sub-package pass rushes where you're taking your four best pass rushers, and they're on the field. Yeah. And since you play that defense probably 60 to 70% of the time, that player has major value now. See, and that's what, when I see players like a Ronald Blair from Appalachians. And I know you haven't watched all these guys yet, but you, you see Hassan a guy like, Ridgeway, Texas. Right, Ridgeway, absolutely. Jihad Ward from Illinois. Right. Uh, Aziz Shitsu to a certain point from Stanford. I think there are a number of different players that have that inside-outside versatility for a defensive line. Do you think that with the success that Denver has had with some, some similar-type talents, do you think that some of those players – or rise up a little bit and get drafted a little bit earlier than, than typically? Or do you think that you'll st- still see some of those players that, that in previous years may have been viewed as tweeners fall a little bit? That's a great question because <laughs> now you're getting into sort of what's been viewed as conventional wisdom for a long, long time. You know, it, I almost refer back to when I read the book Moneyball and the beginning of the book, Billy Bean is sitting with all these old-time scouts who had their their views that go back years and years. He's a five-tool player. He's this, you know, the stuff that scouts always say. Yep. And they're not wrong. Yep. Um, so now it comes down to, you know, does an older scout and, and you know, look at Hassan Ridgeway. I'm just throwing that name out because I, my guess is he's not going to be a first-round pick. Um, but he has that kind of ability, a Malik Jackson kind of ability. Yes, and I'm a fan of Ridgeway as well. Yes. Um, you know, is someone going to say, you know what? 
hey, maybe this guy's not truly a, a starting D tackle. Maybe this guy's not truly a starting D end. But you know what? The last two years, as we do our work, we've seen that we've been in our sub package 67% of the snaps. So if we see him in that package, he's playing 67% of the snaps. That's worth a second-round pick. Right. You know, I think you have to get past that wall, so to speak. Yeah. You know, of, of just saying, oh, he doesn't fit, you know, sort of the, the old way that is ingrained in your head. So I think that becomes a team-by-team discussion. Yeah, and that's what I think is interesting because, you know, in talking about sub-packages, so often the discussion is centered around the nickel corner spot and the, the value of the nickel corner and spot. it's way more than that now. Yeah, it absolutely is because you have these players that have all these multiple skill sets and, you know, they have the length to be able to deal with players of a certain size but then the quickness to also hold up as well. Uh, it makes for very, very interesting discussion at all three levels of the defense. Let me ask you now on offense, and you, you take that the other way. Right. So you look at a player, and I, I know you haven't done everybody, but you look at the, the UCLA tight end, Thomas Duarte. Who I have done. Okay. So you look at Thomas Duarte. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I actually took a look at him because I had done a whole bunch of tight ends, and you said to me a week or so ago, have you looked at Duarte? And I said no, and you said, look at him. I'm not saying another word. <laughs> and I looked right, at him. So we haven't talked about yeah, that. Yeah. So, so you have a guy in Duarte <clears throat> who can do a lot of different things right. athletically. But – doesn't offer anything as a blocker at this point in the game. Right. What, when you're, what's his value? What's his value? It'll be different for different teams, obviously. What's the value of Jordan Reed right. to the Washington Redskins? I think a, it's pretty high. And he was a third-round pick. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how much that can – because that's the person I think of. Right. Is Jordan Reed. Right. Uh, by the way, I really like Duarte yeah. on tape. <laughs> he's a, I mean, he's a really dynamic player. Athlete, you know, athletically, everything you want. He's got speed down the scene. He's got the quickness in I, and out I of breaks. I thought he had great separation quickness yeah. at the top of his routes, too. And his ball skills. He's got great yeah. hands. So yeah. He caught nearly everything thrown his way. Very, very I, I really player. like the Now, there's no question that if you're a run-first team and you're going to line up in base personnel and in normal down and distance and you want your tight ends to block defensive ends, yep. he's not the guy. Bruce Arians isn't drafting Thomas Duarte to be, uh, you know, to be that classic tight end. No, no, yeah. no. I mean, you know, if, if you know, you're the Minnesota Vikings, maybe he's not your guy. Or not right. your guy in the second or third round. Sure. Let's put it that way. But if you're, you know, a Sean Payton, if you're, you know, a team that – Wants your tight end to be able to be a matchup problem, so to speak. Why isn't Duarte a second or a third round pick? Yeah, and to me, I mean, you could make the you could make the. I mean, the Eagles case fans clearly remember Jordan Reed in in that unfortunate game late in the season when Washington Couldn't came in and him. beat the Eagles. You know, the, he beat. There were plays he beat corners. Yeah, I mean it, that uh, to me that player has value. Yeah, and that and that's what's it's. It's interesting because, and then you get into the discussion as well, and we're going off, this is a great discussion, about what a player can do for a team right. versus what a player can't do. So you right. can look at Thomas Duarte two ways, and some of those, some of those older scouts, some of those classic scouts may look at Thomas Duarte and say, uh, he, he, he can't, can't block, block. We, we, don't can't, want so him. we don't want him. No, and I, it's funny you say that because I had to learn that over the course of the last decade or so as I've really delved hard into co- college tape. Um, you know, I probably started doing that maybe 10 years ago or so. Yeah. And I had, I had to learn from not only doing and from talking to people is initially I put everything in sort of black and white. Oh, he can't do that. And I'd say, oh, well, therefore he can't play, you know. And then you have to stop and think and say, well, what can he do? Yeah. How can he help you? How can he, what, what value does he bring? Right. Now, the value might be that he only plays 22 snaps a game, but it's funny. I was having this conversation 
just today with a wide receivers coach on, on the field before okay. the workouts. And we were talking about wideouts and the idea that there could be a guy who fits your scheme, you, you know, gets drafted in the fourth round, you know, maybe plays 25 snaps a game, maybe only catches, you know, 37 balls, which in today's NFL seem, doesn't seem like a lot, right? Sure. But is viewed as a really valuable piece in different packages that can help you win games. Right. Well, and so this is – so you'll remember, okay, you brought up the, the day that I brought Thomas Duarte up to you. Right, right. You'll remember there was a receiver that I also mentioned to you that I was very, very surprised was not invited here to the Combine from Western Michigan, the underclassman Daniel Braverman. Correct. And I compared him. I said, look, Daniel Braverman's going to be different things. Who I have not seen. If you haven't seen, sure. But, I, you know, Daniel Braverman, quick, small, undersized slot guy. Looks, if you, you picture in your mind, is he Danny Amendola? Is he Wes Welker? Is he uh, you know, the, the kid from Dallas who is str- I'm struggling to remember well, his name right now. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. It's, it's a great, I'm playing off your point. Sure. If Julian Edelman right. was coming out in the draft, yep. where, where's he getting drafted? That's a, that's a great question because he's undersized. You know, you have, you have to the, the Patriots, he was, yeah. he's absolutely critical to everything they do. Well, it's like when they traded the second-round pick to Miami for, for Wes Welker. Right. Everyone, everyone in their mind around the league was like, why are they giving up a second-round pick for, for Wes Welker? For a slot receiver right. that theoretically we could find 10 of those guys. Yeah. Or even if, even, and I just remember his name, even if he is Cole Beasley. Right. If, how much value do you think Cole Beasley has to, a, to the Cowboys' offense? Obviously, he's not the focal point. You have Des Bryant. You, you right. know, they, they want to run the ball. But a guy who is as pesky as they come from, from the slot receiver position, how, how much value does that guy bring to an NFL offense if you use him in that way? You know, and I think that's what's very, very interesting from the receiver position. There's so many different ways. And I ways. think that's team-specific. Sure. Because for the Patriots, whether it's a function of Edelman being really good or the Patriots not having quality wideouts, sure. Edelman, you could make the argument, and I've, I've had people tell me this, that Edelman's more important to their pass game than Gronkowski. Right. So, arguably, he's the most important player in the in their pass game. But yet if that player at that size and that skill set was coming out in a draft, there's no way Julian Edelman would go in the top 50 picks. Right. Well, let me ask Don't you, you agree with that? I would agree, 100% agree with that. So let me ask you this question. And this is well, moving, moving the question along, or the, the podcast along here. In classic NFL offenses, in classic football offenses, you have the X receiver, you have the what people have an idea is the Z receiver. Correct. People, you know, an idea of people have as a, a slot receiver. Do those terms mean anything anymore in today's NFL? In your mind? Yes and no. Okay. I mean, clearly teams do line up in base personnel. Sure. Um, and clearly the traits of an X and the traits of a Z can be different because the X lines up on the line of scrimmage. The X has to be able to get off press man coverage. The Z is a different breed of receiver. He's on the tight end side. Okay. So there's more combination routes with the Z receiver because the tight end's there. The X has to be able, again, on the blackboard, to win one-on-one because he's not in combination with any other receiver if you're lining up in right. base personnel. Right. So the X has to be able to win one-on-one against quality man-to-man coverage or press-man coverage. Yeah, I, I asked the question because of how often... I see when I'm watching, you know, uh, let's say Deshaun Jackson, who would not be your prototypical X receiver, line up, 
as the X in a certain formation right. because they want to try and create a matchup with him running deep against that corner on the boundary. Right. Or if, you know, uh, a player like Calvin Johnson lines up in the slot. Or obviously we've had this conversation many times about Jordan Matthews and Marcus Colson and some of these bigger receivers that line up inside. All goes back to matchups and, and trying to create favorable matchups for your offense. Right. And the X very often, be, you know, We'll get one-on-one because, as I said, there's no combination routes. So on the Z side where the tight end is, you tend to get uh, more focused coverage because there's two receivers and there's combination routes. The X, it's why, it's why in this league what's become so in vogue is what we call boundary lock coverage. Because, if, you know, if you line up in a two-by-one or a three-by-one set offensively with the single receiver to the boundary – what the defense does because they've got to deal with the, the greater number of receivers to the field is they want that corner on the boundary side to be able to lock man to man. Yeah. So you get boundary lock. Uh, so that's why an X has to be able to win Beat against man to man. Sure. So now the, the question then becomes now trans, transitioning to the running back position. Obviously, everybody is eagerly anticipating next year's class with Leonard Fournette right. and Brandon Chubb and some, or Nick Chubb rather, and some of these other backs coming out in that group. But in this year's class, obviously you've got Ezekiel Elliott, there's Kenneth Dixon, there's some of these other very intriguing running backs, Derrick Henry, of course. But when you look at some of these other players that offer value in other ways, maybe they don't have great vision inside, maybe they don't have you know great size and toughness, but you look at a player like a Tyler Irvin from San Jose State. Well, by the way, I have not seen him on film. You have? Yeah. I just watched him. He- pretty explosive kid. He's a very, very I mean, he's got some kid. juice now. Yes, absolutely. So you have a C.J. Procise from Notre Dame. Who former, I have seen and I like. A former receiver who has, you know, can line up all across the formation, run receiver routes. I'm doing on film a number of different times. You know, could run a slant, can run a comeback, you know, can run a deep post as a running back, but then also beat you out of the backfield as well when he's matched up on running backs and tight, or linebackers and safeties. What kind of value does a player like that bring to an offense where in, in theory in years past – Someone may look at him and say, you know what, guy can't block and he doesn't have great vision right. inside, doesn't have great run instincts. What does a player like that, a matchup player like that, do for an offense from the running back spot? I think he does a lot, and yeah. I think, again, you'd get into how different coaches – I think Sean Payton would see that as really valuable. Of course. I think Bruce Arians would see that as really valuable. I, you know, so I think it comes down to coach by coach, team by team. I think that player is really valuable. Yeah. Um, but th- within the context of a team, then you get to what are their other needs? What are they lacking? Of course. I mean, you're not going to, let's say, draft that guy over a corner if you don't feel like you have corners. Of course. So it comes down to – so if you're putting it in a vacuum and, and you're saying that, that player, I'd say he's really valuable in today's NFL – where that means a guy gets drafted would be dependent on any number of things, including how good you think that player is and what your other needs are. Yeah, and that's what, you know, it's just an interesting, and I love thinking about these things and talking about these things this time of year because you think back to a couple of years ago when, uh, when uh, Dion Buchanan was coming out of Washington State, and a lot of people talked about Dion Buchanan, oh, you know, first-round pick, first-round right. pick. I, ne- I never saw it that way. And I thought, unless he's used in a very specific way, 
Arizona drafts him. They use right. him in that specific way, and he's been a, a Pro Bowl-type player right. for the Cardinals in that defense. It's just interesting thinking about all the different packages and the way that coaches view things. And People always say it only takes one team, and this is why you say that because well, teams are going to look at players differently. And the other thing, you know, just as we, we sort of wrap up, yes. the other thing is every draft is its own entity. You have to draft the players in that draft. Yep. And you and I both know that – no team has 32 players with a first-round grade. Right. But there's 32 players that go in the first round. Yep. So you've got to draft someone. And we know teams draft that need does factor in. Unless a team just feels a guy who happens to fall to them is just such a great player that they really had a high grade on that they were. But the way the NFL works today, and you know this, is teams draft for need because you've got to – You've got to line up and play. You've got to line up and play. Yep. So, so, I mean, if you need a safety and you pick 21st and your highest-graded safety is 31, uh, you're probably going to take that guy because he's, he's close enough where you feel, hey, this guy's going to come in and he's going to start right away and help us. Sure. So it's, it's always hard, which is why I struggle to make lists. Yeah. You know, because – I think too many factors go into why guys get drafted. So we can look forward to your newest mock draft then. Correct. It'll be out, it'll be out this evening. <laughs> All right, there we go. Well, Greg Crossell from NFL Films, I appreciate the time here on the Eagle Line in the Sky podcast. We'll, we'll talk to you very soon. All right, Fran, thanks. Great stuff from Greg. And, again, that whole conversation started talking about Miles Jack, the linebacker from UCLA, and what his value is ultimately in Like I said earlier in that conversation, some teams are going to look at Jack and see a safety. Some teams are going to look at Jack and see a linebacker. And if they only see him as that, and that's how they want to plug him into their base defense, sure, he's going to be a great player. But then you have to ask the question, how valuable is that? How often do you see a strong safety get picked in the top five? How often do you see an off-the-ball linebacker get picked in the top five? Really, to me, where Jack's value really comes into play is if you keep him on the field all three downs and he is that versatile chess piece for you regardless of how you're going to play. So if you're going to, say, play base defense and he's going to be one of your three linebackers in a 4-3 scheme, you now can play base moving forward because he, in essence, can be your nickel corner. That's just a way that I would look at Miles Jack. If you can be creative with him and really expand the flexibility of your play calling and of your personnel usage, that's really where his value ultimately comes in. So great stuff again from Greg. And, again, you can follow him on Twitter, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where you can find all of the podcasts and all of our X's and O's content that is produced from PhiladelphiaEagles.com. You know I really appreciate everyone that promotes the podcast on social media. We've got to get more, but it's time to welcome in my favorite guy in the room, and it's not BT this week. BT is on the road. He's down in Mississippi, I think, doing some, some feature work with Fletcher Cox. So, for the very first time on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, I welcome in Alex Smith. Can we Alex, get a drum roll for that? There we go. Is there we a drum roll we could uh, throw in there? Yeah. I feel like I'm kind of building my portfolio here, getting on as many podcasts as I can. Well, that's where we're trying to work you in here. Uh, so Alex, obviously, he was not out of the combine, but was here following all the action from certainly, the complex. Certainly, but of course, I was down there uh, at the Shrine Game with yes. you at the Senior Bowl, so we certainly had some good, uh, good trips, but... Uh, really interesting stuff there about Miles Jack. He's a player that personally I'm really intrigued to see what he can do at the next level. Really just a freak athlete, but um, how these sub-package players really fit into the mix is really intriguing. Uh, so, so who are some of the other guys uh, that fans might look at or that you're looking at as some of these potential sub-package uh, players who might really shine in that role? You know, I, I think, and it's like we talked about with Greg, 
it really impacts all three levels, right? It's not just, oh, yeah, we're going to bring a slot corner on. It really affects when you go into sub package, it affects the way that you play up and down your defense. So if you look at the defensive line, I talk about a guy named Charles Tapper. Alex, you know I'm a big fan of Charles Tapper. Sure do. 6'3", 271 pounds. was one of the, com- uh, the combine standouts mm-hmm. this past week. An athletic kid, high motor, ran in the 4.59, was the highest of any defensive lineman in the last five years at the combine. Wow. 119-inch broad jump, a 34-inch vertical jump, all very, very high numbers. The ability to play inside-outside, like Vinnie Curry and what he's been able to do here in Philadelphia – gives you the ability to be very flexible in the way that you play up front in your nickel and dime sub packages. Jonathan Bullard from Florida, very similar situation. Ronald Blair from Appalachian State. Aziz Shitu, a guy we both saw down at the Shrine game. Mm -hmm. Dean Lowry as well. Very much fits the bill along the defensive line. And then how about at the linebacker spot? You mentioned Miles Jack, uh, certainly probably at the top of the list there. Uh, But linebacker is obviously a spot that's really interesting to the Eagles. Uh, Of course, they released D'Amico Ryans earlier in this offseason. So uh, what what linebackers kind of fit that mold as well? You know, I think that really you look at Deron Lee, who a lot of people see as a potential first-round pick out of Ohio State, 6'1", 232 pounds, played safety out of high school. A lot of people saw him as a college safety. A lot of the recruiting services saw him in the back end of defenses. They shift him into linebacker. He's a redshirt sophomore. He ran a 4.47 in the 40-yard dash at the linebacker spot at that size. Really, really impressive athlete. And his game is predicated on his athleticism, on his speed. A lot of people have comped him to a Ryan Shazier, a former first-round pick out of Ohio State for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And there are a lot of players in this draft that kind of fit that same role. You know, you look at Sua Cravens. You look at Deion Jones from LSU, Matisse Overton from East Carolina, all these undersized linebackers that people in the past may have looked at as a potential tweener. You know, is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? He's too small to play in base. Now these guys all of a sudden have all kinds of value because of their movement skills and their ability to move in reverse in coverage. Yeah, the, the linebacker safety hybrid is something that I think we're, see, we're seeing more and more of in the NFL. Deion Buchanan, I think, is a prime example with the Arizona Cardinals uh, for what he's able to do for them. Shaq Thompson, another guy coming out. Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? So, Fran, you just mentioned linebackers. How about some of the guys who maybe are more suited to kind of that safety mold, but, uh, again, these sub-package players? Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, I think you can almost look at some of these undersized linebackers. Like, if you're going to look at Montez Overton, right? Mm-hmm. I just brought him up from ECU. You may look at him and you may look at Jeremy Cash, I like Jeremy Cash. from Duke, in the very same way. You know, one is listed as a linebacker, one's listed as a safety. Sua Cravens, a lot of people see him as a linebacker. He played as like a slot defender for a good amount of time for USC. Same exact role that, uh, that K.J. Dillon from West Virginia, we saw him at the Senior Bowl, played the same role. Trenton Matthews from Colorado State played a very similar role. You know, will teams see J. Ron Kirst, who's 6'4", you know, 225 pounds? Will they see him as a, as a linebacker? Miles Killebrew from Southern Utah, will people see him as a linebacker? I think it's very, very interesting. You look at some of these specialized players, some of these guys that fit specific roles for their college teams, now how will they transition to the NFL? I don't know that you're going to take Miles Killebrew and ask him to play single high in an NFL defense, mm-hmm. but if you take him and you say you're going to use him like a Deion Buchanan or you're going to use him you know, like a Mark Barron, how he was used the past couple of years now with the St. Louis Rams, I think it could be very, very interesting from that respect. Yeah, it, it's certainly really interesting uh, to keep an eye on here. A lot of really, really interesting names to, to look at moving forward. Does this hurt guys' draft value, though, if, you know, if they're going to be really good at one particular thing or, or in the way that you're going to use them? Does that mean they're going to fall off later in later rounds, or is it kind of a case-by-case situation? No, I think that that's the thing is like now you look at the way that Denver played defense, you know, and you look at guys like Malik Jackson and a few years ago, and that's, what, that's the, exact, the exact example that Greg brought up. 
you look at the way that he was used in that defense, he was very much looked at coming out of Tennessee, I want to say it was, what, 2012 or 2013, as a sub-package player, kind of a DN, D-tackle hybrid. What, what is he? What can he be? And now he's turned into such a, a fantastic player because in those nickel sub-packages he can come in and wreak havoc inside or outside. I think the teams may start to look at some of these players that are specialized, quote-unquote, type roles as being more valuable, like a Dion Buchanan, who was a dime linebacker going in the first round. We may see more of that. So a really, really interesting discussion, and I was really happy to catch up with Greg about that. But let's keep the rest of the show going. Like I said earlier, I caught up with Eagles safety Ed Reynolds to talk about the importance of versatility at the safety position. Let's get to that discussion now in Two Technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for Two Technique. Here now with Eagle Safety, Ed Reynolds. And Ed, uh, one of the great things that you had coming out of Stanford was that you were used in a variety of different roles. You know, you played single high, you played two high, you played down near the box, you played in the slot. What are one of the advantages, obviously, that you have as opposed to a safety that may be coming from a system where, you know, maybe they only play in the slot or maybe they only play single high? Uh, what are some of the advantages that you had as opposed to a player that may be coming from a situation like that? Yeah, I think mainly it's just versatility, uh, being able to, you know, give yourself the best chance to see the field in the NFL is make yourself available and ready at any any spot that's that's open. So being able to, you know, if you need to play over the slider, depending upon the scheme, can you play the deep part of the field, single high, cover two coming out of your breaks, um, you know, man coverage over tight ends and backs and slots and all that stuff. So I think it's mainly it's just being able to be as versatile as possible because if you are, then, you know, you have a better chance to see in the field earlier. And one of the things I find is interesting around this time of year is that everyone kind of points to players and they try and project them to the NFL from the college level. And you look at, you know, maybe they were played slot corner or maybe they played just at the safety position. They just only played in the slot and they didn't play any single high. They didn't play any too high. What are the, uh, I guess, what are the things that when you go to the NFL level that make it so hard to make that adjustment to playing on the deep end of the field? It's not just as easy as, oh, yeah, we're just going to stick them back there and play safety. What, What else goes into that? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of things. I mean, first off, it's, you know, discipline, whether it's eye discipline or discipline in your pedal. Um, I think being able to read the quarterback, trajectory of his shoulder, um, being able to peripheral the routes, um, you know, without staring anything down and getting yourself out of position. If they could throw anybody in the, in the deep part, they could just go get an athlete off the street or go get someone and put them back there and just say, go play ball. But you, there's a lot of little intricacies. Plus, you have to be able to come out of the middle of the field and tackle. Runs break second level. you got to be able to make open field tackles. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things. It's not as simple as people make it sound like, oh, just play the deep middle and, and you're good. Um, but it's also fun. You know, you got, you got to be able to, you know, it's like a little chess game with the quarterback. Um, you know, you have to – every day I go out there practice my range, ball skills, anything that, that you know, can help, you know, be, be productive in that part of the field. That was great stuff there from Ed. He did a great job breaking down the importance of versatility for a safety. So now I'm quickly going to break down for you how to subscribe to a podcast. If you're listening to this podcast on the Eagles official app or on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, all you have to do is just go to your phone, you go to your, your tablet, your device, and you go and you go to your local podcast app, you search for Eagle Eye in the Sky, and you hit subscribe. And this podcast will come to your phone or come to your tablet each and every week. You don't even need to think about it. And then you can listen or access the show whenever you want, doing whatever you want. Uh, It's always a great way to to listen to content. And I'm a big fan of podcasts. BT, my producer, 
got me into podcasts not too long ago, and it's really the best way to start consuming content. And we've got the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA, which is obviously hitting full swing, the Eagles Insider podcast with myself, Chris McPherson, and Alex Smith, and then also the Eagles Live podcast with Dave Spadaro. You can subscribe to all of those podcasts and get them to your phone each and every week. It's very, very simple to do. You can just do it right through iTunes or whatever your local podcast app is, and it's very, very simple. All right, let's close this show out now with some Saturday scouting. Like I said earlier, I want to talk a little bit about Ja'Cory Shepard, the second-year corner out of Kansas. It's time for Saturday scouting. All right, so this week in Saturday scouting, I wanted to take a look at my notes on Ja'Cory Shepard, the corner from Kansas last year. He was a sixth-round pick of the Eagles. I was really surprised that they got him that late because I was really, really impressed with his talent. 5'11", 199 pounds, went to the senior bowl, got hurt on the very first day of practice, missed the rest of the pre-draft process with a hamstring injury. So you didn't get to see the athletic numbers that he would put up. But a guy that was really, really impressive on tape, he lined up as the right corner in Kansas's defense, played a good mix of press and off coverage, and looked comfortable playing every coverage in the book. Showed good play recognition skills against man and zone coverage and was very patient in press situations. He didn't get overextended. He didn't open the gate too quickly. Displayed the quickness to mirror at the line of scrimmage. And that's really what you want to see. You want to see a corner, when he's in in that press situation, he wants to stay square to the line of scrimmage. He doesn't want to open his hips and lose advantage of the snaps. You want to stay square, keep your feet calm, and show good timing with your hands and with your feet to disrupt early in the route. And, you, know, you want that receiver to move laterally and disrupt the timing, and that's what Shepard was able to do pretty consistently, even though you know, he wasn't one of these six-foot, six-foot-one corners. I thought he had loose hips with the ability to turn and run with receivers downfield. He has the quickness and the change of direction to hip pocket downfield in man situations. He seemed to be more quick than fast, but he could close on the ball in a hurry, and he had strong hands to make the interception at the catch point. You know, from a weakness standpoint, I wanted to see him get bigger and stronger. You know, that lack of strength showed up at times in the run game. He he got stuck on blocks at times. A little inconsistent playing the ball downfield. That was a little bit of a concern. We talked about that a year ago with Eric Rowe as well, and I thought that he really came along in that respect. At times he'll look and, you know, try and turn and look and lean. Other times he would face guard, which obviously – you can't do it at the NFL level. I think he can still you know, improve using his hands at the line of scrimmage. We saw him improve in that area very early on in training camp last year. Overall, I thought he was a, very, a lanky, smooth corner with very good movement skills that has top-end man coverage traits. If he can refine his technique with the ball in the air, he has starting potential down the line in an off scheme or maybe even a press scheme. And I remember last year, Alex, previewing the cornerback position in the Eagle Eye in the Sky mm-hmm. uh, print series. I actually included him with the off-coverage corners because I was impressed with his movement skills. I noted that he could fit in the press, and we ended up drafting him. And obviously, we're a press-coverage team, or we were right. uh, in the past, and I think we will be moving forward with Jim Schwartz. I think that, uh, that Shepard can fit either way. Well, the question that I have with Shepard is obviously a really athletic kid. Um, Eagles fans may remember that heading into his rookie season, it looked like he was slated to be the starting nickel cornerback for yeah. this team. The Eagles traded Brandon Boykin, and the belief there was that uh, Ja'Cory Shepard would be ready to go, ready to step in, and then he gets injured during an open practice over at Lincoln Financial Field before the season starts. So he was kind of slated to be that inside nickel corner. So where does he fit now with this new scheme? Different coaching staff under Jim Schwartz. Where does he fit in inside-outside? 
you know, I think that he could potentially fit either. You know, I think that, and we've talked about that with Jordan Matthews now entering his third year at the wide receiver position. Could he play inside? Could he play outside? I think Shepard could potentially play both as well. I didn't see him as strictly a nickelback coming out of Kansas, but I didn't also see him. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought he had the flexibility to be able to slide inside, outside. I think that Shepard could potentially be the nickel guy. I don't know that you can necessarily rely on him solely going into the, uh, you know, going into training camp. I would imagine that the Eagles will have other options there as well, but Shepard is a, is a wild card, man, because he's got great athletic ability. Again, he's get, getting kind of written off right now because mm-hmm. he missed the season. He missed the pre-draft process. So uh, a guy that a lot of people thought was maybe a third or fourth round pick went to the sixth round, then missed his whole rookie season. I'm very, very excited to see what Shepard can bring to the table in 2016. Yeah, and it's really interesting to me to see uh, how he kind of stacks up against Eric Rowe because Eric Rowe is kind of a bigger, longer corner. Shepard doesn't really have the size, but it, it kind of sounds like that may not be an issue for him. And now for if, if the Eagles do move into a more off-coverage scheme, perhaps that's better su- suited to what he does. Yes, exactly right. So definitely very, very excited to watch uh, Ja'Cory Shepard progress throughout the rest of his career. Well, thanks again to Greg Cosell, to Ed Reynolds, to Alex Smith for his premiere here on the Eagle Line. The Sc- Happy Scott to be podcast. here, friend. Thank you, Alex. And all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app, thank you. And if you get the time, go on, rate the show, leave us a comment, and let us know what you think. Shoot me a question. I want to hear from everybody out there and make everyone happy. So wherever you listen, just go shoot us a comment, and we can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For my producer, Alex Smith, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.